You Are What You Read is brought to you by Book of the Month, a monthly subscription service that allows you to curate your own original box of books each month from a selection of hundreds of bestsellers. Book of the Month features diverse and current titles for all readers, and they make their subscription options easy and flexible so you can spend less time researching and more time reading. Behind on your reading list? Skip your monthly selection and use a credit for a book the next month. Do you prefer to listen to titles when you're on the go? Opt for an audiobook. Book of the Month has a reading experience just for you. If you're already reading most Book of the Month titles, try a membership. Right now with our exclusive discount for You Are What You Read podcast listeners. You can head to bookofthemonth.com to get your first book for just $9.99. Just use code ADRI, that's A-D-R-I, at checkout. Happy reading! Dear listeners, consider the beauty of these two sentences. The balance of nature includes everything alive, even us. We take what we need and no more. These are a couple of lines from Lily and Barbara Kingsolver's first ever children's book. They collaborated on Coyote's Wild Home, this gorgeous, luscious, informative story about a young girl and a young coyote pup on their first woodland adventure in the Appalachian Mountains of Southwest Virginia. Barbara Kingsolver is one of our greatest American novelists, and I like to go out on a limb and say that Barbara is our greatest living novelist. She's a recipient of currently of the Pulitzer Prize for Demon Copperhead. She's won the National Humanities Medal and many, many more honors. And she's also brought us some of the great novels of our time, The Poisonwood Bible, The Lacuna, Unsheltered. I could keep going. In her latest work, Barbara takes the lead from her daughter, Lily Kingsolver, who's also a writer and works as an environmental educator in state parks and zoos of Southwest Virginia and the Space Coast of Florida. This little theme you're going to hear, it's familiar in the King Solver home. Sometimes they start out as scientists and then they become novelists. They take the natural world and spin these incredible tales that are inspired by the beauty of the earth we inhabit. In Coyote's Wild Home, Barbara, Lily, and their illustrator, the brilliantly talented Paul Maroka, offer us insights about the fascinating animals in Appalachia and around the world so we can safely coexist with them, the relationship that we have with the animal kingdom. It is a wonderful story, very classic in nature, told for children everywhere. Now, you all know, because you listen to this show, this podcast, that I love a family act, and I love a family writing duo even more. Lily and Barbara put their brilliant minds together with this book so we can imagine our wilderness and the necessity and our duty, our obligation to be stewards of our natural kingdom. Teachers, librarians, parents, grandparents, everyone, this is an appropriate read for children everywhere, and I say children of all ages. Coyote's Wild Home is a gift for young readers. Ladies and gentlemen, here are Lily King Solver and her mom, Barbara King Solver. So, Lily, 
I know you were raised in a home with books. What's the first children's book, picture book that you remember? Oh man, that's a great question. And narrowing it down to one is so hard because I have so many that I love, but there's, hmm, there's one book that's really special to me. Um, Birdie by Janelle Cannon is this beautiful story with beautiful illustrations about a young snake maturing in the rainforest. Um, I believe he's an emerald tree boa, although I could be, don't quote me on that. Um, but anyway, it's this beautiful story, beautiful illustrations. And I feel like I owe that story, my love of, at least part of my love of snakes, um, which is, I have a great love of snakes. So, <laughs> well, the, the, you know, I, I'm a gog at this book, Coyote's Wild, Wild Home, because, you know, we're taught to hate coyotes. We're taught that they're creepy. We're taught that you hear them howling and they're doing something terrible. Um, and this book had me fall in love with them and the importance of them in the ecosystem. So it's very interesting to me, Lily, that you went to an animal book as what defined you as a writer, because in writing with your mom, you would have to choose something that was, you would have to find a subject that was important to you and to your mom. You, you would both have to meet in the middle. And so we have a little insight into your mom's love of nature through her books, of course, maybe a big insight. I'm again, Animal Vegetable Miracle, one of my favorite books ever. Um, Barbara, did you set out to train your daughters to love animals? Was this like part of the, the, uh, of the kink solver hop? So, I mean, was it, it, was it important? Um, I think an interesting thing about parenting is it doesn't really matter what you set out to train your kids to do. What matters is what you do because they are always watching. Um, I learned that pretty pretty early in the game, and I can just tell you that um, we I I got those babies outside from from day one. Literally, we were out in we were out in uh, out in the desert because they were both Lily and her sister were born when we lived in Tucson. Uh, when we came back here to the mountains, we were out in the, under the trees all the time. It was frankly practical as a mother. And I'm sure you remember this too, when they're little and when they're cranky, it always helps to get them outside. So we were always outside. I took Lily camping for the first time, I think when she was three weeks old. Um, that's what, because I love being outside. I love nature. I grew up, you know, on a farm playing outside in the woods, in the fields, no adult supervision. Uh, you know, pretty much my whole childhood was, was outdoors based. So, in the Appalachians, in Kentucky. In Kentucky. Close to your Virginia home now. Right. And the you same, love that. Yes. The same ecosystem where I live now. That's what's really home to me. I mean, I took a... I, I did my 40 years of wandering in the desert, which wasn't 40 years, but um, <laughs> but I had to get back here. This is the ecosystem that speaks to me, to my heart. And interestingly, both, both my daughters love this place too. Um, nature was just our, our living room. So that's what I think that's what Lily learned by doing. She saw, she saw how rich the world is. And this, this uh, Appalachian forest is the setting for this book. How glorious. A grandpa 
and his granddaughter, which of course made my heart swell. Um, I didn't have either of my grandfathers. I, one of them I didn't know, and the other one, I, but I feel like I know him, and, and the other grandfather not long enough. And so there's a great longing in me. So when I read this, I really folded into it. And I think readers are going to fold into this relationship that is so beautiful. And really, they meet, they meet, the book opens and they're going into a forest, which is there any more magical place on earth? It was enchanted the way you pulled us into the story. How did you two work together and how did you decide on grandpa and granddaughter? Good question. We we talked about it being a parent at first, I think. Um, and then we realized quickly that we wanted the coyote to be having a relationship with a caregiver who was not his parent because that is a real thing that happens um, that auxiliary females will help to raise another female's pups uh, when they're, you know, when there's a lot to do, they, they pitch in there, they have a family unit. Um, and so at first we toyed with the idea of a parent and then we realized that we wanted it to be parallel. We didn't want to just go with a parent relationship, which is very obvious, but isn't the relationship the coyote is having. And it was so important to us to parallel the two stories that these, these two different children, coyote, pup and um, human child, are having a really parallel experience. And in that way, they're connected, even though they never meet each other. Another, another issue was just the practical matter, the writing device of having a, a naive character and a character who is showing her the forest. We realized when we were working with the, the original story of Diana and her father, we, we were, you know, well into the story before we looked at each other and said, well, duh, if she's 11, how could this be the first time she's gone to into the forest with this father who adores the forest? She would have been going camping since she was three weeks old. So that's when, and, and we also, as Lily said, wanted to, to parallel uh, the two stories as closely as we could. The, the coyote pup with his first woodland adventure and the little girl with her first woodland adventure and it makes made sense for this to be a grandpa that she would just visit maybe in the summertime or something and she's a city dweller and he's introducing her to the forest at the age of 11 which seemed appropriate uh to mm -hmm, us mm -hmm. it's perfect because that's also when we as girls realize everything's about to change and we kind of desperately don't want it to. So I, I think that choosing that age and also their relationship to one another, he is a delicious character, the grandfather. He is, he's wise without being mean. He's not vain. He's funny. He's interested in her development as a person, uh, as, a, as, a, as a steward of the earth. It's very important to him. You can see those themes come through. And the way you intersected it with the coyote and the pup, the coyote pup, was so artful and so beautiful. And the attention to the details here, they spend a lot of time reading paths in the ground. And, and you know, when you're little, I would have spent probably a week just looking at the end papers of the, <laughs> of the footsteps and just to discern, well, who's on that path? And I see paws and I see their feet and I, I would have spent days and there's a bird involved and you see all of this and you realize the multi-layers of two things, of a mother and a daughter, which you are, 
and of two fellow writers coming together. There has to be that synergy. One can't carry the other. You have to meet. You almost you're on a bicycle built for two now. Writing. What was that process like for you? Well, I'm going to jump in and say that this book happened all because of Lily. Um, and a, a quick version of this book's origin story is that Griffin Press contacted me, asked me if I would uh, uh, add this add a coyote story to their series called Voices for the Voiceless, which are children's picture books introducing young kids to the real natural history of animals, not cartoony animals, but real animals. They wanted a coyote story. And they, because uh, I wrote a novel once that had, you know, that where in which coyotes figure. The lacuna. Yeah, uh, are we talking it, about it, the lacuna? It was a prodigal summer. One of the uh, one of the characters is a coyote biologist, so they thought of me. So they wrote to me, and I had already composed a letter saying, "Thank you very much. I love the idea. I cannot write children's books. I've tried. I I can't. How would you reduce this immensely complex biological story into you know like twelve hundred words that a child can understand?" I had no idea. I didn't think it was possible. So this letter and the previous uh, book that they published uh, in this series were sitting on my kitchen table. Lily came over to visit that day. Uh, she came over often. Um, uh, and she saw the letter. She saw the invitation and the fact that I was declining it. And she said, well, this is so important. Why wouldn't you do this? And I said, how? How would you reduce this complex story to a children's narrative. And she said, well, how about this? And she just rattled out the, the story right there and then. And I said, Lily, you have to write this book. And she liked the idea of us doing it together. Uh, so we went back to Griffin. They loved that idea because they happened to be a mother-daughter run press. And so we went from there. But Lily was the writer. I I was really more of an editor. She had the story. Interesting. She had the story, the fund the fundamentals of the story, the two the two parallel uh, coyote pup and and child being shown into the forest and the way they interact and all that. Yes, almost that little tongue. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. sweetest thing. It was all Lily. So I. Lily and I worked together mainly to shape that story in a way that would work with the children's picture book, which was a new a new project for both of us. And uh, the first thing we did was to to write up um, a proposal of our you know sort of de the description of our story, which was what was it, Lily? It was like three thousand words or something. Uh, and, yeah, something and, like that. And, and we sent it to him, and they said. We love this. Your entire text can't be more than 1,200 words. <laughs> I know. So it's like a hat trick. That, You're like, what, how am I going to do this? That was the first big aha to us is that this has to be really spare. So we spent lots and lots of time focusing, narrowing down, uh, just finding the, the pure thread of story. And um, the second big aha was when we realized this is a picture book. A picture really is worth a thousand words. And we realized that so much description, everything that we, you know, all the writing that we had done about the where, the who, and the, the when, that could all be put into the pictures. So what that leaves us with just the why, the why of this story. 
Let's let's talk about the illustrations by Paul Marosha. Is that how he says his name, Marosha? Paul Maroka. Maroka. Uh huh. Maroka. Mm-hmm. Okay. I I was going fifty fifty there. Maroka. Paul Maroka. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's such warmth lit from within characters. There's a reality to it. Okay. There's nothing cartoony here. These could be paintings that you'd see in a museum. Frankly, they're so rich in detail. But there's also a real central humanity here. And it's interesting now that we hear the evolution of your process because, Lily, I think you do really shine through here because the character of the young, the younger characters are fully developed and rich. They're not passers-by. They're not observers. They're actually creating the action um, and, and also forging the relationship. Where did that come from for you? Because that I don't read this. I haven't seen it in children's books, and I like to think I read a lot of them. Well, so first of all, I apologize. My dog is barking. Um, I hope that can be mind. like okay. We don't that, mind. That ruin what could everything. be Lily? What could be more perfect? We're talking about animals. What could be more perfect? That is true. I, we, got we have an actual live animal. Coyote. Yes. That's right. Um, <laughs> she's not a coyote, but pretty close sometimes. Um, so these characters, I, I have the benefit of having spent a lot of time with children. Um, I work with kids, uh, right now I work in a nature preschool, um, and kids have such rich characters and kids have such complicated emotions. And, um, I can, you know, I'm sure I'm anthropomorphizing, but I imagine that other animal babies do too. It's this time when you are cognitively developing so quickly um, and changing so fast and learning so much and experiencing so much in your life um, that I I just feel like that's a really rich time for personality-wise. And I feel like um, seeing the woods through the eyes of these two animals that are learning about their experience, that are in their... Um, the pre-operational stage, you know, where they're where they're just experiencing, they're doing this active learning about um, everything around them. And I try to spend, I try to put myself in that mindset a lot because I think it's really easy to become jaded and to become, you know, just not as interested in nature as it becomes, you know, I like you see squirrels every day and squirrels aren't exciting after a while, but have you ever really looked at a squirrel? Like they're, they're wild, you know, just stuff like that. Looking, looking at things through a new lens um, is really what we were trying to do, I think. But you also did this thing, Lily, that I think was masterful, which is, and your mom kind of gave us a little cue to this at the beginning of our conversation, which was your children are watching you. And you do this wonderful thing in the narrative where they're watching us. We're watching them, but they're watching us. I thought that that was such a beautiful, you're giving the the reader, the child, a a focus, a lens, a point of view uh, on the way the world actually is, not the world as we imagine it. Now, that had to be deliberate. Go ahead, mom. Sorry, you looked like you were about to start saying something. I think the key to all writing, I think about this one, I'm writing novels, and I was really impressed watching Lily do this when we were writing this book. The key to it all is you do not condescend. You respect your reader. You assume your readers are as smart as you are, at least. And, and, And so you never condescend. Well, I think that it's tempting to think in children's literature, because especially a a, a picture book, which is for such 
young children uh, that's that has only, you know, like 60 or 70 words on a page. The temptation would be to condescend. I was so impressed that Lily did not do that. We, you know, she sort Me of too. led the way and I, and, mm-hmm. and I, I, I grasped it quickly. What we're doing here is respecting the full humanity of children. They know they're fully human. You know, you can't, you can't trick them, um, as far as, you know, their own humanity. And so that was, that was what I, I, I really loved about Lily's way of encapsulating this story. Me too. Me too. Because you walked into the story, you knew the people. Yeah. That to me, you know, Barbara, that's one of the hardest things writers do is to create a world, to create a world we don't want to leave. Yeah. And I did not want to leave this world from the beginning in the magical four. It was, it was, it's the illustrations are that evocative, but you also, you're teaching the child without condescending, without preaching to the child. You're showing, you're unveiling the world, which is what the great writing and great writers do. They unveil. It's not all, you're not supposing anything about your reader except that they want to enter a different world and to be transformed by it. And I would love to go back again and say how much we appreciate Paul Maroka's illustrations. He happens to be an old, old friend. He and I met oh, 30, 30, more than 30 years ago when we were both cub reporters. He was a, a scientific illustrator, which he still is. Um, and I was a scientific writer, and we did uh, we did projects together, and we've stayed friends ever since. He's done several of my book jackets. So, and he he's a, he's a biological illustrator. Uh, so that's what you're talking about when you look at these paintings that he did. You see that he he put in every leaf. Those trees are not pretend trees; those are real pines, real oaks. Every uh, every detail is there. Every hair on the coyote's head. When we um, when we talked with our our editors at Griffin Press about uh, illustrators, they asked us if we had preferences. And um, you know, we 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 know a lot of children's books. We we love a lot of illustrators. But Lily and I quickly agreed we'd love for Paul to do this. So that was what we asked. Um, Emily at Griffin said, well, I'm not sure we can get Paul. And I said, let me make a call. So, so he actually, he actually flew out and stayed here with us for a week and we showed him different locations. A lot of the images you see in this book are, uh, are real places. Actually, all of them are real places, many of them on our farm. So that makes the book extra charming for us. And, and also deeply... Deeply personal, right, Lily? It's deeply personal to you, isn't it? This story. It is. It's it's so very personal. Honestly, more personal than it's than it's possible to explain because some of these pictures that um are these incredible you know paintings that that Paul Maroka um made are real photographs of real places in the place where I grew up in Appalachia. Um, the first page with the people on it, for example, that tunnel of rhododendron is a place at the first state park where I worked as an interpreter. And so that is a place that's very special to my heart and that I wish I could take every kid in the world to stand there, you know, and I can't, but I can, I, well, Paul Maroka can bring it alive, um, bring it to life 
in in these incredible illustrations. And we went back and forth emailing each other about, um, is it this plant? You know, are you sure that's oxalis? Are the leaves look just like this? Um, because he was so, so dedicated to making it. Meticulous. Um, yes. Yeah. He, he was, he's an incredible artist and he really, yeah, made it. He made the book what it is. Lily, the story is so smart. I got, listen, I, I told you, I get to read a lot and I, and I love to read. And I, I do have a thing for children's literature. I really do. And I think this is a series. I hope you're going to do more. Are you planning on it? You've got the voice. Oh, I would love, well, I mean, I've already written plenty of children's books on my own laptop, you know, that I have saved that no one's ever seen. Yes, but, good. Um, if if an opportunity comes up, I would absolutely love to do this. I love um, sharing my love of nature with kids is my favorite thing to do. And um, I'm so lucky that I've been able to do that at state parks and I've been able to do that at zoos. And now I'm able to do that remotely to more people than I've ever been able to reach before. You have spent your life really studying this and working mm -hmm. in this field. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm getting my master's right now in environmental education. Um, I've worked in environmental education for a long time, and I just love it. My, my own personal mantra is to foster the connection, to bring people um, together with nature and to, to foster the connection that I think we all have intrinsically that makes us want to connect to the world around us, to our natural environment. I think we all have that in us, and it just needs to be encouraged a little bit, you know, especially in kids. If you can encourage um, kids to be comfortable with that connection and to lean into that connection, it's such a powerful tool um, for, for their affective dispositions toward nature later in life. Um, it's really important, you know, to, to love it when they're kids. Lily, you know, I'm fascinated by the family farm. I have a great-grandfather, my grandmother, they raised on a farm. And I see in your family this pulling together of all the talents in the family through the years, okay, with your dad, with your mom, with your sister. Um, I've seen it um, in, in various ways, usually through books, right, but also just knowing your mom and what's important to her and your dad, who's a professor. How much did the farm, how much did the Appalachian experience inform this first children's book, this opus? What, how much did that inform you? Oh, so much. So much of it is um, comes from family and it comes from where I grew up. Um, I feel, I mean, like mom has already said, I feel so connected to the Appalachian Mountains. Um, that absolutely is my home. And after I get my master's, I plan to go back. Um, but also, I'm really lucky to have the family that I have who are all very smart and very interesting people with really interesting interests. And, um, my, my parents always, you know, like mom, like mom said earlier, uh, have always shared nature with me. And so I'm um, growing up on the farm with the woods behind our house and, um, you know, the garden in front and working in the dirt and climbing trees and spending all day in the summer outside uh, on the farm. Was, was so important to the formation of my feelings about nature, absolutely, and and about our relationship to nature, sort of um, 
like what we are to nature and what nature is to us both, you know, what we are to the coyotes. As yes. Well as yes. What we, what they are to, to us. Yeah. So your family appreciates the perfect tomato and making something <laughs> from it, right? Mm -hmm. The vegetables, the fruits, the gorgeous flowers. Your mom will post beautiful aspects of nature on her socials. And I know that you do too. It, 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 it's really the river that your family really floats on, isn't it? Absolutely. This love of the land, of the terrain, mm -hmm. those, those maternal hills and those just beautiful, the greens and the colors, and which I think Paul uh, Maroka really, I mean, I've never seen anybody do a mountain laurel like him. Right. It's so it's amazing. It's perfection. <laughs> right. Isn't it? Yeah. He he was not here when they were blooming. So um we had to send him we sent him pictures and we actually gave him some feedback on getting the color exactly right because the the real mountain laurels and, and rhododendrons don't look like the ones in the nursery. But yeah, it was it was so important to us that all those details be exactly right. Because again, that it's, it's about respect. You know, you respect your reader, you respect your subject, you respect the coyotes and even the rhododendrons. That's, that's the work of the writer, I think, to, to get it mm -hmm. right, to be authentic, because that's the best mm -hmm. thing you have to give to your, to your, to your reader. Because, because some child will pick this up in another country and they will not have the Appalachian experience and here you brought it to them. Yeah. How important was it for you for both of you, for Barbara and Lily, how important was it for you to set a book in Appalachia? Oh, man. I mean, it it just made perfect sense for this book. It just sort of happened that it was Appalachia because it honestly could have been anywhere um, because anywhere in North America because coyotes have spread to all of the places in North America and because they're so incredibly oh, adaptable. By the way, mm -hmm. by the way, Lily, I want to thank you so much for this incredible facts about coyotes in the back. I think this is the new, this is a, it's a new thing in children's literature and I love it. Uh -huh. Thank you to Project Coyote. Um, they are a really great um, organization and they do a lot of work with coyotes and we learned a lot from them um, and from several coyote biologists about coyote biology. So thank you to uh, Camilla Fox, uh, Dr. Fox and, um, yeah, all of the all of the coyote researchers and advocates from whom we learned a whole lot about coyotes and what incredible animals they are. You basically gave us the full experience of a novel in a children's book, the full experience of a world created, of course, on the level for children. I want the readers who are within the sound of our voices to, to understand this, that it's rich that this, this is not a parable, it's an actual adventure book. Well, well, thank you for saying that. We, when, we, when we send our, our text to Paul to begin uh, our conversation with him about the illustrations, he said, Barbara and Lily, you've written the war and peace of children's picture books. So, so and, and I think he meant it as a compliment and also as a complaint because it was a, it was a big project for him too to illustrate this um, sufficiently. But um, I guess... You know, that's the beauty of not really knowing what you're doing. We didn't realize that what we were what we were bringing to this book was much bigger than, you know, than really 
uh, normally would fit in a children's picture book. But um, the the biology, the ecology, the background story on coyotes was so important to us because it's exactly as you said in the beginning, people fear predators. And that was one of the main reasons we felt like not just that we wanted to do this, but that we had to do this because um, predators have gotten a really bad rap in children's literature. The big bad wolf, you know, the bear, the, uh, you know, the predators are these alert, the jaws. Um, they're these Barbara, two- don't you remember, don't you remember in summers when our grandmothers got Reader's Digest and there was always a story about a grizzly eating someone <laughs> and I would read those with such fear. Oh, I'd be like shaking, like, I, I don't want to see a bear ever, you know, even at the zoo. I don't want to see it. You know, yes, we are taught to hate predators. And as a consequence of this, you know, sort of long centuries long history of people hating predators, fearing and, you know, sort of seeing them as the antagonists, we've wiped out a lot of them. We have extirpated uh, the red wolf from the eastern U.S., which held a very important uh, role in the ecosystem. And I didn't know until I went to graduate school as an environmental biologist, I never knew that that predators are the keystone. They are in many, many, most ecosystems, they are the key that holds everything properly together. When you remove them, everything gets out of whack because the herbivores overpopulate, it causes chaos, you lose a lot of species when you remove the Keystone Predator. So this was our challenge to try and sort of sub subvert that fear, kind of go around behind it and explain to children and their parents how important these predators are and how important it is that we respect them and learn to live with them and rather than against them. And, you know, when I first got the book, I was like, is this a photograph? It's a painting. Paul Maroka, this is a painting. The, the, the human traits, the empathy coming through the eyes of this coyote. I mean, it's really beautiful. And it has me looking at the world differently. Paul's incredible. He, yeah, his, he, he painted every one of those hairs, you know, <laughs> he spent months and months working on these. Your words were too. I don't think anyone out in the world, I mean, um, very often, and I'm sure Barbara, you get this and Lily, you're going to get this where folks come up to you and say, I want to write one too. And I, I think the first thing we need to make really clear about children's books is the amount of time invested in the development of the book. And then it took him a couple of years to draw this, this book, didn't it, to illustrate it? Actually, I think he had eight months. He was on deadline. Oh. Bless his heart. You know, and I, <laughs> we were on the phone a lot with him because um, our, our part of the writing took, what, about... Four months, is that right, Lily? Maybe mm-hmm. four, yeah, four or five months. It was pretty fast. Yeah. yeah, we worked pretty quickly, but we and we turned this all over to Paul, and he came. He came out here in um, in was it June or July, late summer? I think it was. Yeah, even yeah. September maybe because yeah, I mean, it was. They're like goldenrod in the in the yeah, pictures. Yeah. yeah. So so mm-hmm. then from that from that week, he spent here photographing, sketching, drawing. Uh, and then taking everything back to his studio. He had until April 1st 
to get this done so that we could have an, an, uh, so we could release last autumn. He, he worked like three artists together. He worked so hard. So, I mean, I really want to give credit to Paul. He made this, he made this happen. Mm -hmm. Um, and he did it beautifully. I picked up my copies at different indies because I like to give our indies as much support as possible. And I know you do too, Barbara, and I know you do too, Lily. And you know the feedback that I'm getting on this? First of all, they love it. The kids love it. Now, I know this could sound crazy, but it doesn't to the parents that are listening to us right now because, it, you know, the sprinkles, the glitter, the fairy books, the, you know, the, you, you know what I'm talking about. This book is gender, I think, extraordinarily gender inclusive. Thank you. That was the goal. <laughs> okay. Well, you did it. And I'm going to tell you, there's not a lot of this. So in the marketplace. You're right. So for librarians who do their readings, and I, you know, this is just, it's a fest of conversations for children to have in all aspects of nature. And I love the fact that you put the word home in the title. Because you are, there's an empathy to the animal kingdom here that is so beautiful. Yeah. Intentional, yeah. of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We wanted to make it really clear that these people were going into, you know, se- stepping into someone else's house, you know, <laughs> and going into beautiful. the coyote's home and experiencing it. Um, and that, you know, part of the respect that we, that we feel we should have for them, you know, that we hope people will develop for coyotes um, is space. You know, part of that respect is not chasing after the coyote, letting them stay at a distance. And when you are in their home, being very aware that you are in someone else's house, you're a guest, you know? (laughs) You're a guest in their home. What an incredible lesson for children, for the adults reading to the children, for the librarians who are looking for a story that really brings, that marries the idea of our humanity and also supporting the animal kingdom and supporting that that system, that ecosystem um, that that nurtures the animals and nurtures humanity. I mean, this is this book is such a home run. I am in love with it. And I'm going to tell you, Lily, you have a big, bright, glorious future in front of you because we're going to keep making children and they're going to keep <laughs> needing stories. And we really... <laughs> I mean, it's going to happen. So, uh, and 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 I'm thrilled that you 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 brought your mom in, and that you worked together because this this is just one more example of the King Solver Hop Family Farm <laughs> and what you believe in, and the layers and the relationship with one another. I couldn't be more thrilled for you. Thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been really fun. I adore the King, Solver, and Hop family. And a few years ago, Barbara shared with me that her husband, Stephen, has Italian lineage. Is that wild? I loved it. And when I read the story and I looked at the illustrations, I couldn't help but think, these people, there's this, this grandfather in the story, he looks Italian to me. And funny, Barbara told us that she and Lily had decided that the grandfather character was an Italian immigrant. They didn't put it in the story because they were held to, you know, the children's book standard. It's not a novel. It's a children's picture book, and they had to be prudent in the way that they wrote it. But let me tell you, their facility with language and storytelling makes this book a page turner. And along with the gorgeous illustrations, you you can't believe 
what a feast this book is. And Barbara made the point that, you know, in the building of the characters, when they were writing the characters for the book, little Diana and the grandfather, she said, we were, we were almost making a subtle point that just like animals travel to new homes or create new nests or new caves or wherever they are from around the world, so do our people. I just want to read this line that meant so much to me as I was reading the book. The balance of nature includes everything alive, even us. We take what we need and no more. Coyote's Wild Home is a story of complete balance in nature. As animals move through the world, so do people. And it's our responsibility to love, respect, and preserve our shared earth space. I want to thank Lily Kingsolver and Barbara Kingsolver for joining us this week with such an important story. Please tune in next Tuesday for an all-new episode of You Are What You Read. And thank you for leaving your reviews. We're grateful for each and every one. We learn from you. Thank you to Ramona, who left this review this week. She wrote, I'm a book nut, and this podcast really speaks to me. Adriana's interview style is second to none, and the caliber of guests is amazing. Thank you, Ramona. And I want to thank everybody that's taken the time to leave stars or a review. This is a free podcast for you, and I really believe in that. I wanted to offer you a service that just heightened your listening pleasure and also your reading pleasure. And going to the library, going to your local independent bookstore, wherever you get books, wherever they're sold, we want you to dive into the experience of books as you hear from the authors, the luminaries, and the great thinkers of our time. Certainly this week's book qualifies as a book that will build your soul. And it's an important book for you to share with the young people in your universe. And I don't think that Lily and Barbara, if you could get two better examples of a mother-daughter duo collaborating for the first time on a timeless classic. For more updates, you can follow us on Instagram at You Are What You Read Podcast and at Adriana Trajani. I want to thank you again for tuning in today. And always, always thank you for reading. <laughs>